do welcome everyone tonight and our visitors uh, tonight. We do have our get-together afterwards, as Ron mentioned, and of course our college students and uh, our, I guess, high school students uh, are going to be uh, judging the uh, sweetheart dessert contest uh, tonight. Uh, that's a, a lot of fun that we'll have uh, there as we Mark, the 1,000th program of Good News Today. It's good to have Judy Gilreath and Mike and Melissa Frost and uh, Alex and Avery with us uh, tonight, part of the Gilreath family. Barry meant so much to uh, the work of GBN and uh, the brainchild. Uh, he w it was his brainchild, Good News Today, and we appreciate their being here tonight. We love them more than words can express, and we're so delighted to have, have them with us as uh, was mentioned we've been trying to get the 1,000th program taped for several days now, <laughs> but we've had uh, we've had sickness uh, uh, with our directors. Uh, Brian Sorello has been sick, uh, still not feeling real well, but he is at work today on the helicopter. I guess not good weather to be flying out of Erlanger on that Life Force helicopter. Maybe he won't have to tonight. But Tommy's been sick, but um, Tommy made it in this afternoon at five o'clock to. Uh, direct and uh, Tom and Jerry made it in for uh, the camera work, but and everything we were had it all timed out to tape at five and be through in time to be here at six, and things were moving along real smoothly, and then it suddenly all just fell apart on us because <laughs> at one point uh, we went from having three three minutes twenty one seconds left in the program as we were down timing to suddenly having a minute forty two left and I hadn't talked for 15, 16 seconds. That's all I had been talking. So we knew something bad had happened, <laughs> and we couldn't figure it out, and we kept talking about it until finally, finally, I just said, I am completely confused, and I have no idea where we are. And that was bad enough, but everyone else in the room said the same thing. <laughs> That's what I got a little nervous, because it was about 25 till 6, and... Uh, we had no clue as to where we were in terms of the timing, but then we figured out what had happened. When you hit the timer on the iPad that we're using to time, we don't have quite as sophisticated equipment yet as we <laughs> have had in the past at GBN with the good news today, but we're getting there, but don't have clocks on the cameras, but we're using that, and Jerry found out that if you hit that in the lower left-hand corner as you look at it, it goes to zero and starts timing up again <laughs> instead of down. <laughs> so that's what had happened to us. And once we figured it out, and I think Tom was the calming influence. We were all pretty much panicked. <laughs> and, uh, and Tom said, well, I think here's what's happened. You know, Tom and his calm way. <laughs> and and uh, he calmed me down and uh, was able to uh, get us back on track. No, it, it went fine. Uh, we... Uh, we uh, marked the 1000 program and we did feature all three of the segments that we're regularly featuring uh, now. Uh, the challenges segment with Stephen Hall as he talks about handling criticism on this particular episode. Be ready always with David Smith as he discussed how to give an answer to those who think we're still under the old covenant. He dealt with that. And Leroy Dedman with his leaving a legacy on a segment entitled It's Your Fault where he uh, was talking about how in today's world it's always somebody else's fault as to the problems I have, a very timely uh, segment. All three of those were included, which only left me 9 minutes 46, uh, 47 seconds, so I had to uh, say what I wanted to say in a little short order, but I wanted to include all of those regular segments. And then, of course, Barry Jr. 
when he's over and able to come in uh, from time to time, uh, of course, he's been on already and, and will continue to do a few minutes for the family uh, segment for us, too. And we very definitely wanted that because we wanted a Gilreath uh, member still involved. We couldn't use today if we could have one, and we, and we can, thanks to his generosity and his willingness to do that. So he'll be continued to be featured uh, in the program from time to time when he has the time in his schedule to come over and take some more segments for us. So we're excited about uh, where we are with the Good News Today program and uh, uh, what is happening there and the blessings that we have uh, have had. I was trying to figure out, and Judy may remember, but I was trying to figure out exactly whether Good News Today started at the very same time the network did. And I was looking back in my files, I have every single uh, production uh, sheet that has ever been put together. We put together a sheet like this to guide us in our production. And I have several volumes of big loose leaf notebooks that have all of these sheets in there from number one all the way to now. This one will go in as number 1,000. And the um, best I could tell when we first started, and we were doing 58 and a half minute programs then, and they were airing six days a week, but we were only shooting three uh, a week initially, and then we moved up to six. And you know something, and this, is, this comes from wor working with a man like Barry Sr. I was thinking, and I even had this in a manuscript that I submitted to a lectureship one time, that in November of 2006, the network was launched. Because I couldn't see how, I guess, in my mind, it could have been launched any earlier than that, since we moved from Chatt to Chattanooga in 2004, and we had that meeting in Huntsville in June of 2004 to do planning, then uh, we got everything together, and Janice and I lived in the offices for three months and in the end of 2000, and so I had in my mind that the network was launched on November, on Thanksgiving night, November of 2006, and I've even presented that material. And then I found out in doing all my reviewing it was November of 2005. Because I couldn't figure out, we couldn't have launched it in 2005. But with Barry Sr. at the helm, we could. <laughs> That's why we were able to do that, I think, because you could do things uh, that you didn't think you could do when you had that kind of leadership uh, and the elders at Highland. So uh, it was November of 2005, and I think Good News Today began right about that very same time. And we were filming it in Channel 45 Studios, the public TV Station, and I watched a little bit tonight before we started taping of the very first program that we uh, that we taped and that was aired on on GBN. And as I said to Jerry Wright, as he and I were watching it, that's a much younger-looking Jim Dearman there in 2005. And he said, "I'm not going there. I'm not going to say a thing about that." But uh, it was. But we do have, uh, and Janice has kept a complete history. This is just a copy of one of the newsletters. She has a complete history of everything that's our own personal history, and she has put that together. I was looking through it today, and I couldn't believe how thorough and how well documented the meeting in June in Huntsville. She had comments from every person who was there who commented. She had those comments down, what they had to say, their support for it, and she put all that together so that we would have a documented history of the network, and now, of course, uh, good news today as a separate uh, entity from that. But. Uh, it's been uh, a wonderful, wonderful journey, uh, indeed, with uh, wonderful memories of uh, wonderful people, and especially Barry Gilreath Sr. and Judy and their whole family. So we're glad they are here uh, tonight. I mentioned this morning that 
we were emphasizing in the two sermons today, evangelism, and I think appropriately so in light of what we are uh, commemorating and marking tonight and, and uh, celebrating, if you will, and there's nothing wrong with that at all because um, we are celebrating something that uh, God has blessed and that God uh, has certainly uh, been the primary mover in without question, and we give thanks to him for that. But we're stressing evangelism, and this morning we looked at the joy of a world won to Christ the joy of the soul that has been won, and the joy of the soul winner. And uh, we looked at that more from the individual uh, perspective and the individual responsibilities that we have, the individual opportunities, the privileges that we have as individuals to live in such a way as to draw others to Christ and to teach uh, in such a way and to use our influence in various ways. Tonight I want to, I want to talk about evangelism using the media because I think it's vitally important that we never lose sight of just how crucial the use of the media is in evangelism. But as we begin, we remind ourselves that there's nothing in this world that is as important as the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The sinless Son of God shed His blood to purchase the church. Acts 20, 28 reminds us uh, of that. All men must be reconciled to God in that one body, the church, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. It is where the saved are found, Ephesians 5, verse 23. And one day, the Lord Jesus will return to take it home to the Father in heaven, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. But meanwhile, as we anticipate his glorious appearing, as we anticipate his second coming, we as members of the church have a mission here on earth, and it is not to sit and wait. There were some in the first century who mistakenly thought that was their mission, to sit and wait, because they mistakenly thought he was coming again very quickly, but that was a misapprehension they had that had to be corrected by Paul, especially as he wrote to the Thessalonians on that occasion. We're not to sit and wait, but we're to serve and work. But what is the nature of that service? What is the mission of the church? We've talked about in times past that the actions and the attitudes of some, even in the church, reveal an erroneous concept concerning the church's mission. And some have fallen victim to what might be called the, the me mindset. And that relates to Leroy's segment that, uh, that we featured today as far as uh, it's all about me. And in other words, they act as though the church exists to meet their so-called felt needs. And some of the departures that we're seeing in the Lord's church today are based upon that me mindset that exists in the Lord's body in many places. And those who have that mindset, those who have that mindset feel that those needs, when they are fulfilled, they're pleased and they're confident that God will be equally satisfied with their self-imposed sacrifices. Uh, Janice was calling my attention just the other day to uh, an article about uh, young people today and what they want today, and they want a more upbeat worship. And I haven't taken time yet to read the article, but I intend to read it in detail. But for the most part, it didn't sound very positive in terms of some of the, uh, some of the attitudes that are being reflected uh, in our young people. There was one young person that was quoted in there from the Jacksonville Church of Christ in Jacksonville, Alabama, a very fine congregation, who said exactly the right thing about expressing confidence in the adults in that congregation and the leadership that they were providing. And so it is not the case that everyone out there who's young uh, 
uh, is clamoring for contemporary worship and uh, some of the things that we see uh, happening as a result, I think, of this me mindset. And this mindset, incidentally, is really a modern manifestation of what Paul describes in Colossians 2.23 as will worship in the King James translation. The, the uh, New King James says self-imposed religion, self-imposed religion. So the me mentality is all too present with us today, I'm afraid, but it's diametrically opposed to the true mission of the church, a mission which should center not upon me, but upon making disciples. That's what the real mission of the church is. And I know we understand that evangelism and edification and benevolence are generally the three areas in which we know the church is to carry out her mission. But all these areas of work involve really making disciples, either through initial conversion or through the maturation process that follows after one is converted as we edify that newly born babe in, in Christ. And Matthew's account of the Great Commission really makes that abundantly clear. Jesus told the apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, as the New King James renders it. Make disciples. And the process of making disciples includes acts of benevolence, certainly, toward both Christians and non-Christians. That's to demonstrate our love and compassion. But physical relief has to have spiritual relief as its ultimate goal. And as we relieve physical needs, we do so with a view toward relieving a greater need, and that is the spiritual need. And, of course, the teaching enjoined by the Great Commission also includes the edification of the converted, building them up in the most holy faith, moving them on to greater maturity as disciples who are going to be able to stand and withstand Satan's most aggressive assaults. And so the mission of the church is to utilize benevolence, evangelism, and edification to do what? To make disciples, to make disciples of all the nations. That's the mission. But think about the magnitude of that mission, especially in the world in which we live today. And what the magnitude of that mission is, the phrase, all nations, every creature, as Mark's account of the Great Commission, every creature, those statements lead to sobering consideration in another area. The commission of Christ is clear. Every person in every nation is to hear the gospel of the kingdom, and that's necessary because sin has reached every accountable being in every nation, and the gospel is the only cure for that sin. And only when time is no longer will sin no longer separate man from God. That's when it will all end. And until that time, when time is no more, sin is going to be present with us. And so until then, every soul on earth needs to hear the good news that a Savior has shed his sinless blood to end that separation between himself and God and to bring about reconciliation. But think with me about this fact, that when time is no more, there will no longer be a Savior. When time is no more, there will no longer be a Savior. He will then become the judge. He will not come back as Savior. He came initially as Savior. He'll come back as judge. 
And those who stand before him at that time without the benefits of his blood will be condemned eternally. A tragedy beyond description. Even those who never had an opportunity to hear one gospel sermon will still be accountable and will be punished. But what about those who've received the blessings of salvation through obedience to the gospel? What about those of us here tonight who are in that category? But if we never seek to share those blessings with others, what kind of greater condemnation can we anticipate? And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Luke 12, 47 and 48. Those words of Jesus should sober our thinking and strengthen our resolve to get the gospel to every creature on earth in this generation. But what if someone says, well, the magnitude of that is just simply too great? To conclude that the magnitude of the mission in this, the 21st century, is too great would have to lead us to one of two conclusions. If we think that it cannot be done in the time in which we live because the challenge is us too great, then one of two conclusions would have to be true. Either it is the case that the Great Commission, as we call it, was never intended for every generation of Christians, or it would have to be the case that deity, deity now, did not anticipate the time when his charge to his people to take the gospel to the world would become impossible. Deity didn't anticipate that. Can you believe that? Well, of course not. The point is, neither of those conclusions is valid. The commission to carry the gospel to all creation originated with the apostles, yes, but it was perpetuated by the early Christians. And it's to continually be perpetuated by Christians in every generation. In Acts chapter 8, upon the first major persecution against the church, verse 1 of Acts 8 informs us that the apostles remained in Jerusalem while their fellow Christians were scattered abroad. And verse 4 of Acts 8 reveals that as they were scattered, they went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Now, if the Great Commission applied only to the apostles, the early Christians didn't know it. Because when they left Jerusalem and left the apostles behind, those Christians went everywhere preaching the word. They should not have done that if the Great Commission applied only to the apostles. But they did do that, so they knew that it didn't apply only to the apostles. They obviously realized that they had a responsibility to make disciples of others and that even persecution or death would not deter them from their mission. And many of them died, as we have said, with a song of praise on their lips to the God of heaven for the opportunity to suffer for his name. Oh, indeed, the magnitude of the church's mission is monumental. There's no denying that. This world's population has now exceeded 7 billion, and it's on its way to 8 billion. Probably by the year 2020, there will be 8 billion people alive on planet Earth. And meanwhile, there are still more than 100 precious souls that are going into eternity every 60 seconds. Every 60 seconds. 
These are staggering statistics. And at first glance, at those statistics, it might cause Christians to ask, can it be done? Can we really have any hope of carrying out the Great Commission in our lifetime? Indeed, it can be done. And it will be done, but not by sitting and weeping, but by sowing and reaping. That's what we're to do. Oh, I'm not saying there's not much in the world, and yes, even in the church, about which to shed tears, about which to weep, because there is. And weeping is not wrong. Not at all. The psalmist once declared, Rivers of waters run down my eyes, because they keep not thy law. Psalm 119, verse 36. We've talked about the fact that the Apostle Paul wept over the disturbing influence of false teachers in his day. He wrote to the Philippians, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark those who walk as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. I've told you often about them. I tell you now even weeping they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul cried. He cried over those souls. But his tears did not distort his spiritual vision, nor did they discourage his soul winning. He wept and kept on working. And that's what we must do. Understanding the magnitude of our mission, as he understood the magnitude of his mission, but believing that through Christ he could accomplish it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he wrote. And that which motivated the Apostle Paul must also compel us, must also motivate us to fulfill the greatest mission that's ever been given to man. And that is to take the precious gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. What will motivate us to do that? Paul's was a life that was hidden with Christ in God. I've said that I don't believe there's a man who ever walked the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who understood and appreciated the grace of God any more than did the Apostle Paul. The Apostle expressed his undying gratitude for that grace, remember, in 1 Corinthians 15:10, when he wrote, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that grace which was bestowed on me was not in vain, for I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Grace, grace, grace. That verse is filled with Paul's expression of gratitude for the grace of God that made possible his conversion, made possible his apostleship, made possible the mission that he was privileged to conduct. What is it that should motivate us in the pursuit of our mission? To make disciples of all the nations. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God has been bestowed upon all mankind, hasn't it, in the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Paul wrote in Titus 2, 11, beginning. While we were yet sinners, the sinless Christ suffered in our place, suffered in our stead. He died the most humiliating and painful death on earth that we might live in heaven forever. And the greatest pain, as we talked about it recently in one of our classes, was that pain of bearing the burden of the sins of all mankind for all time on his sinless shoulders. God's grace was extended to man, motivated by love in the highest degree. 
And recognition of that love causes man to reciprocate with loving, willing, and continual obedience to the will of the Father and the will of the Son who died for us. Anything less than that reciprocation falls shamefully short of what the Lord deserves. It falls shamefully short of what the Lord demands. And why shouldn't he demand it? In light of what he has done for us. One of my favorite passages, if not my favorite, is one in which Paul summarized that love and its motivating power. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Remember, for the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. There it is, summarized so beautifully, so poignantly for us. Is there anywhere in Scripture a greater summary of the supreme motivating force in the Christian's life than those verses in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15? I think not. I think not. It's this love, it's this kind of love that will move us to deny self and to make disciples of others. And it's this love, this love that will lead God's people to use every scriptural method available to accomplish the God-given mission of preaching the gospel to the world. And the media, I believe, must be included in those methods today. I think it must be included. Otherwise, there is no realistic hope of reaching the nearly 7 billion souls, or the over 7 billion souls, in the world today. But let me ask you this. Should it surprise us that we have at our fingertips today the technology needed to reach every soul on earth with the gospel? Should that be a shock to God's people? It shouldn't. It's simply a reminder that our God would never give us the mission He has given us to reach the world without giving us the means to do so. He wouldn't do that. And I believe that's the reason that the use of the mass media is not an option but an essential ingredient in bridging the gap between a massive world population and a modest workforce. You see, the few who are faithful. It's not the majority faithful, that's not how we describe God's people. We are the few who are faithful. And the few who are faithful here on earth will be the few who will inherit life in heaven. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus made that abundantly clear. But while on earth, the few must use the media to full advantage to reach the many. And if we don't, I don't see how we're going to possibly do it. While most who hear will reject that truth, we know that, and remain with the lost majority. The Lord said so. He said that. And while that is true, the Lord also said, get the gospel to every single one of them. Get the gospel to every single one. Few there be that find it, but give them the opportunity to abandon the broad road to destruction and to enter the narrow road to eternal life. And without the media, I believe that's impossible. However, if the church will awaken fully to the need to use the media wisely and widely, we can blanket the globe with the gospel in this and every succeeding generation. That's why the Gospel Broadcasting Network 
came into existence. That's why Good News Today as a part of that network initially came into existence. I was looking back through some of the material and, that Janice had filed and one of the newsletters, one of the newsletters featured an interview that we published that I did with Barry Sr. And in that interview, the first question, as I recall, was why, why did you have the idea to originate the Gospel Broadcasting Network? And to paraphrase his answer, it was, I had worked with preaching the gospel with James Watkins, and I had seen the kind of response that we received to the preaching of the gospel and what could be accomplished, and I believed it was time, it was time, for us to be able to bring into existence a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week network broadcasting nothing but the truth. And my fellow elders at Highland agreed. And the Gospel Broadcasting Network became a reality. And Good News Today is a part of it. And Good News Today now is a separate but cooperative entity. And there are many good brotherhood works utilizing the electronic media and utilizing the printed page. And if we don't, if we don't use those means to evangelize the lost and to edify the saved, what realistic hope do we have of carrying out the Great Commission in this or any other succeeding generation? We have to have those who will dream and make that dream a reality. Do you believe the denominations fully appreciate the power of the electronic media in propagating their doctrine? Of course you believe they believe in that power. Of course they do. Bobby and Effie and John and Sandra were in the Houston area and other parts of Texas this last week on their trip and saw that monumental uh, structure that Joel Osteen now uh, preaches in and doesn't preach the truth in, tragically, of course, but do you ever see him or do you ever see John Hagee of the Cornerstone Church, which they also saw while driving through the Houston area, do you ever, or San Antonio, rather, do you ever see those men on television and Charles Stanley and on and on I could go in naming denominational preachers whose efforts are global, in terms of the kind of funding that is being put into those works. They're not doing that because they simply have the money and don't know what to do with it. They're doing it because they have the money and they know that in the use of it in that fashion, they are going to reach people tragically, though not with the truth. Why can we not, with God's help and God's blessing? reach people with the truth by the utilization of those same means. We must realize that the mission of making disciples of all nations cannot be accomplished by men alone, but by men who have the faith to use the means that God has provided. In today's world, this has to include the use of the media. The Great Commission is a mandate from the Master it's not a motion we may reject by, by majority vote. God didn't make a motion that we make disciples of every nation. It's a mandate. And the time is coming when all of us will stand before him to give account for how we've carried out that mandate. 
And may God help us to view the charge we've been given, not as a tiresome task, but as a precious privilege to take to others the truth that has transformed our lives forever if we're Christians tonight. And let me say in closing of this lesson that I deeply appreciate the elders of this congregation for their faith and their vision and their determination and their realization about the very things I have been saying tonight, that we need to use these means. And their faith and vision has enabled Good News Today to grow after separating from GBN at a very critical time. And with the blessings of the Highland elders and Barry Sr., that separation came about. And that effort has gone forward as GBN has gone forward and as other good works are going forward in the media efforts. But I deeply appreciate White Oak's willingness to take the work when they did, and not just to take it, but to take it and move it forward. And so many of you who are here tonight who have individually contributed and helped in so many ways, and for your prayers and your support, we are deeply appreciative as we reach a milestone in the production of the Good News Today program. We said number 2,000 will come about 19.3 years from now. So if I were still around, I would be about 86 years old. But James Watkins is still around. Of course, there are not many James Watkins out there who could keep going like he has. I don't know how long I'll be blessed to be a part of the work there. But I firmly believe and pray and am confident that someone under the oversight of these good elders and elders who will follow them in their faithful footsteps will continue to oversee the work, hopefully, for many, many years to come and that it'll grow and reach literally millions upon millions of souls. Maybe not to convert millions, obviously, based upon what we know the realistic picture is that the Lord himself painted for us, but to at least give the opportunity to those lost souls to obey the truth. Tonight you have that opportunity. As we extend the Lord's invitation, we plead with you, if you are not a child of God, to become one tonight and to become a part of the Lord's people who are seeking to take the gospel in so many ways to others. You do that by expressing your faith in Jesus as the Christ, by moving forward in faith and by faith to repent, turn your back upon your sins, change your mind about those sins, and then to confess Jesus to be the Christ and then to be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've done those things but you know you need to come home to your first love as one who's wandered, has sinned in a way to bring reproach upon the blood-bought body of Christ, the church. We plead with you to come home tonight if that's your need. As we stand to sing, will you come?